in Psalm 105 where I read the call to worship. Now I'm only going to read through verse 27 where it brings up um, Moses. But what I'm dealing with today, I'm, I'm preaching on the providence of God. And so uh, Joseph's life's a great example of this. And so this psalm is going to address this. And then uh, we'll address this in the preaching of the word. But as it'll give you a little bit of a survey here of his life after it talks a little bit about Israel. All right, we had the call to worship in verses 1 through 7. In verse 8, He has remembered His covenant forever, the word which He commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which He made with Abraham and His oath to Isaac. Then He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance when they were only a few men in number and very few and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation and from kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. <clears throat> so as he noticed what God is doing with his people, how he's taking care of them. Verse 15, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. And he called for a famine upon the land, and he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will, that he might teach his elders wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt. Thus Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And he caused his people to be very fruitful and made them stronger than their adversaries. He turned their heart to hate his people. He's saying he, God turned the hearts of the Egyptians to hate. God turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his wondrous acts among them and miracles in the land of Ham. And then we turn over to the New Testament passage, John chapter 9. And it's John chapter 9. It's the whole thing is a story about this fellow that Jesus healed and a whole bunch of things that happened in connection with it. And it's a great story. It's a funny story in places with the, if you think about what the exchange that went on. But I'm only going to read the first seven verses because I want to preach on the providence of God and I only want to deal with those first seven verses. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of, God, of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him go wash the pool of Siloam 
which is translated sin. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these hymns that we sing. We acknowledge that a lot of times in life we sure cannot figure out what in the world you're doing. Even after events have happened, we, we look back over the past sometimes and we realize that we not only can't figure out why certain things happen, we'll never know in this life, but only in the next. And yet, Lord, you haven't promised to explain everything to us, and, and uh, there's nothing wrong with the fact that we don't know and we don't see. We just know that you are working, and we see your work in history. We see how you've dealt with things in history. And, and a lot of times in our lives, we... We get really down, we go through rough times, and we wonder when God's going to bring us up. When's He going to give relief? When's He going to make things better? And sometimes things are long and coming. And so, Father, Your ways are mysterious to us. And right now we come to Your Word and we pray that You'd help us. Help us, Lord, to understand better what it is that You do. Help us to see that You are not inactive, You're not passive. But you're very active in history and in our individual lives. Help us to see that. And in seeing that, let it not just be some kind of theological truth that we store in the back of our head so that we can know the answer to some question about providence, but help us, Lord, to make application of the fact that you're governing all things and working all things for your purposes and for your glory and the good of your people and we love you for that we pray that you forgive us for times when we get aggravated that things are not the way we want them to be and we pray for a sweet spirit uh, help us to bring our questions to you uh, as we need to but with reverence and love in Jesus name Amen so this morning what I wanted to do is preach for us what I'm calling which is what is a topical sermon and uh, it's, the sermon is on the providence of God. In fact, the title of the sermon is God's Providence in the Christian's Life or Christian Destiny. Destiny is not a word that's associated with Christian thinking. It's usually associated with fortune or fate. Uh, somehow things happen due to the forces of nature or whatever. And in Roman and Greek mythology, there was the goddess of destiny. And so what I've done in the title, I've tried to use the word providence, which is our name, Christian providence, is what we uh, understand relating to the things that happen in life, in the events of life, our individual lives, and in the history of God's world. But also I've decided, tried to talk about Christian destiny in the fact that God rules over all things and brings all things into connection with His plan and with his purposes. And then what I want to do is I want to give us some exam I want to set the tone to establish that this is what is that this is a real teaching. This is real doctrine, the providence of God. I want to establish that from scripture and I want to use some of our doctrinal standards just to re, just to read those in a summary for us. And then I want to give four examples to us of people who we see these truths illustrated with. So we look at Joseph and David and Esther 
and the beggar who Jesus healed. And then I want to make some very practical applications of this to your life and my life. It's not just enough for us to say, yeah, we believe the doctrine. We, we want to be operating. We want this to be operative in our lives from day to day. We have a, we have a personal relationship with God. We talk about God being our Father. Christ is our elder brother. He's our Savior. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We know life is not governed by chance or luck or anything like that. We sing of all this. We teach all this. We believe all this. So we want to figure out a way that we can apply this practically. Some years ago I read the book about on Winston Churchill written by uh, Stephen Mansfield. Uh, and I'm not giving I'm not giving Churchill here as an example of a Christian or anything like that. In fact, I have no I have I don't know of any reason to believe that he was a Christian. I don't want anybody to go down the trail about what you're going to prove to me later that he was or that he wasn't. I'm just dealing with what he said, okay? With because his quote is something that we often hear in connection with providence or destiny or anything like that but Stephen Mansfield who is a Christian wrote a biography uh, about Churchill and this is what he said about him in earlier more Christian errors men believed they were moved by a force that today in our world of evolution and random chance is taken for arrogance and license it was the power of predestination of God's choosing and ordaining Every life for a purpose. Found first in Scripture, it was expanded by Augustine, revived by the Reformers, and has since inspired generations to both bold faith and action. Untold numbers have been moved to attempt what on their own strength, without the guarantee of a fixed destiny, they would never have begun. In other words, they, they believed that God had given them a calling of things to accomplish. Winston Churchill lived the, very, the first 27 years of his life in the Victorian era, an age still rooted in the Christian understanding of the world. The idea of destiny, of a purpose ordained before the beginning of history, figured decisively in men's thoughts and actions. It is not surprising then that Churchill, who drank as deeply as any man from the Victorian well, perceived his life in the light of an overriding providence in terms of a divinely appointed purpose. What Mansfield, not Mansfield's not saying the guy was a Christian. Mansfield's just saying that he adopted this view of himself as for his ruling and his position in, in war and everything else. Well, Mansfield is right. It all begins with Scripture. But to our advantage, these truths taught in Scripture have been summarized in our confessional standards. And I want to read some of these to us and also read some scripture that, that shows these as well. From our confession of faith about God's eternal decrees, it says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass Yet so is thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In other words, we still make decisions of the will. 
Although God knows whatsoever may or can come to pass upon all supposed conditions, yet hath he not decreed anything because he foresaw it as future as that which would come to pass upon such conditions. He didn't make decisions based on what he saw into the future. He instead designed and ordered and planned all that was going to come to pass. All right, now in connection with, let me give you two scriptures that show this. So here you got the apostles after Jesus died and rose again. What do they tell? What do they preach? What do they preach after Pentecost? So here's the sermon. What do they preach about Jesus? This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And what he's saying is all these people cried out for Christ to be crucified, but he's, what he's preaching is, hey, this was God's plan all along. Were they guilty of sin? You bet they were. Did they decide they wanted to do that? You bet they did. Was this God's plan? Yes, it was. And then from chapter 4, For truly in this city there was gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. Just like, just like the Psalms said that God made the people of Egypt, hate the Israelites when they were down in Egypt. God moved in these people to cause Christ to be crucified. Acts 4. Catechism says, What are the decrees of God? God's decrees are the wise, free, and holy acts and of the counsel of His will, whereby for all eternity He hath for His own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass especially concerning angels and men. Ephesians 1, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Proverbs says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. What does Jesus say? Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. I don't give that as a, I don't apply some of that a little bit later. Here's a great a great quote from our confession about providence. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. So God's providence and God's will is over all things. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone. All of us in this room, we have multiple callings. I have a calling relating to business. I have a calling as a Christian. I have a calling as an officer in the church. I have a calling as a husband. I have a calling as a father. I have a calling as a grandfather. We all have particular callings. We all have particular things in which we're involved. We all have particular gifts and talents and experiences. We all have particular possessions. 
We all have property. We have all these things that make up who we are and that relate to us. And all these things of who we are that relate to us are to be used for the glory of God. That doesn't mean they have to be used in a church. They have to be used in the glory of God. I spent 10 days on a cruise ship. And I'll tell you something I was enjoying every day on that cruise ship to the glory of God. I sure was. Came back, had to go through, had to get, what is it when you get, when you come back, it's not a debriefing, but I had to go through a, had to go through a period of getting back into reality. I enjoyed myself so much. Those things charge me up so that I can serve when I get back. But it, we, the point that I'm getting at here is when we think about living for the glory of God, it relates to everything. It relates to family. It's like Shirley's at home. Shirley's at the hospital so her daughter can sleep. And she's doing that to the glory of God. And so everything that we do to the glory of God is not related to just something that's church. But it's all of life lived for the glory of God. God gives us promises. He makes provision for us in our lives. And we look to Him to keep His promises and to make provision. And today what I want us to see is that we are going, whatever our place or whatever our position in life, whatever our circumstances, we have been brought to this place right now where we are, we have been brought to this place by the providence of God, realizing that this in the present is where we're to be and where we'll be next year is where, we not, where we're supposed to be. It, where we are this morning is where we are with what we have and who we are and, and everything else about our lives. This is where we have been brought in the providence of God. This is where we are supposed to live for Him and serve Him in our lives with where we are right now in our lives. It's not a mistake. It's not God's in heaven scratching His head. Oh, I wish that hadn't happened. It's not like there's some mistake. No, what's going on is the will of God and the providence of God. Now I'm going to give you four examples of where we see this in Scripture. And then I want to make some applications. So the first example of this is in the life of Joseph. So we read this a while ago. And he called for a famine upon the land... He broke the whole staff of bread. This is meaning God did this. He sent a man before them. Joseph was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. So if you and I know the life of Joseph in Genesis we know this is what was happening. He had some dreams. His brothers got jealous. Daddy had an issue with him. He got sold as a slave. Then he, we know that he was hired by this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar takes a trip. Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with him. She propositions him. He doesn't want to have sex with her. She cries rape. He gets thrown in jail. In jail, he interprets dreams, helps out some guys. They forget about him. Then one day, Pharaoh has a dream, and one of them who's still alive says, Hey, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. Let's get him over here. They make him take a bath, shave, get all cleaned up, put on some clothes that don't smell. He goes to Pharaoh, interprets his dream, and tells him about everything that's going to happen. And all of that was the plan of God. All of that was God working through all these things. And then finally his brothers who sold him as a slave. 
They've come down to get some food because they're hungry. And they, then their daddy dies. And then, he t- and then the brothers are afraid they're going to come after him. And this is what he tells his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. God was governing all of these things. What's, what's, what's Joseph saying? He's saying, I'm God's instrument right here. I'm God's instrument. And look at the way that he had gotten there. Look at all the things that he went through. And all these things the Bible tells us God was in all these things. It wasn't bad luck on his part. It was in God's providence all these things. And his, his responsibility, which he did, was to be faithful to the Lord where he was. Falsely accused like he was with Potiphar's wife and all this mess. Probably thinking in jail. Had God forgotten me? Remember that time John the Baptist sent some people to Jesus and they said, are you the Messiah or not? Why did John the Baptist do that? Well, he did that because if you're the Messiah, why am I in jail? What's going on here? It's the same questions you and I have. If I'm a child of God, if God loves me, why is all this junk going on? Well, it's not a question that God doesn't love you. It's a question of God has called you to this place and, and now in this place there you have to deal with it. And you have to deal with it as best you can under Him and with His truth and with His promises and with His love and all these things that have not been taken away. All right, let's look at David. David, King David. What do we know about David? We know that he was a guy who took care of sheep, right? He was a guy that took care of sheep, and when on days he was taking care of sheep and they were all behaving himself and he didn't have to work, what did he do? He practiced with that sling, right? He got pretty good with that. Got so good he could kill wild animals. What else did he do? Well, he played a little music, and he wrote a few songs, and he did a lot of meditation about, of God and God's truth. And that's what he was doing out there. And, and who gave, God gave him that musical ability. God gave him that ability to do the sling. And, and, and all, these are all his gifts and talents. And then what happens? Well, then he's challenged by Goliath, right? And what he does, he kills the dude, right? And then the next thing that happens, the king, you know, Saul, he's just a mess. I mean, he's a mental mess. That's what he is. But hey, we know this guy can play some songs. And some of his songs maybe cool you off a little bit, right? Some soothing music. And so then he gets to be in the king's court. And all these things are going on. And God is working all these purposes. And all this stuff figures into Israel's worship and everything else. And then there's one verse in Chronicles that says something about David, about him realizing that he was... He realizes. he He had this moment... When he, when he, I mean, there were different times that he could have realized this, but, but there were times that he really knew this. He knew this was true about him. It says, And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. David said, I'm king. A lot of people would have looked at some of the things that he reached on conclusions and say he's arrogant, he is prideful, he shouldn't be acting like that. But why was he doing it? He was doing it because it was the position of the king. He was God's anointed. 
He was supposed to be king. He was supposed to consolidate the kingdoms and consolidate the tribes and establish God's law and God's rule and all that. And that's what he did. He recognized not only that the Lord had raised him up to power, but he lived and worked in the confident knowledge that it was by God's design. And so he needed to get the job done. This is where God has called me right now. I need to get the job done. Let's look at Esther. Esther's another familiar story. That whole book of Esther is full of God's providence, of things that happened that kept everybody guessing. Here she is, one good-looking woman who's made the queen, wins the beauty contest, and becomes the queen. And becoming a queen and being put in the palace, she is, she is the one who ends up saving the nation and seeing their lives spared. But in that whole, in that whole story, she, there's Mordecai, her uh, guardian, and Mordecai is, uh, saves the king's life, and, and Haman, one who's in the king's court, hates Mordecai, and, and he prepares uh, the gallows for Mordecai to be hung on. Instead, Haman gets hung on him, and uh, Haman wants to be honored, and the king can't sleep one night. And so he's reading this book about somebody who saved his life, and it was Mordecai who saved his life. And he realizes he'd never done anything good for Mordecai. So he said, let's do something. He comes in, he says, what should I do for somebody I want to honor? And Haman's saying, he's talking about me. But he wasn't talking about him, he was talking about Mordecai. And so he says, I want you to get, uh, he said, well, prepare a nice, let him ride your horse and let him be paraded by one of your officers. And so that's what happened. Mordecai gets put on that uh, animal and Haman has to parade him through the streets. And then soon Haman is hung on the gallows. But Mordecai came to Esther when all the Jews' lives were under threat of death. And basically he's saying, Esther, you're the queen. You've got to use your position. You, you are the queen. You have to use your position it's a great example this is so sad it's so sad in our culture in the christian church today there are all kinds of people involved in industry and business and politics and medicine and everything else and they divorce where their position is from the work that they do and as christians we cannot do that and so Esther is saying to Mordecai, well, if I go in to see the king and, he, and I'm not announced or he doesn't send for me, I might be killed. And Mordecai says, you're going to be killed anyway, girl. And if you don't go, then God's going to raise up somebody else to give us deliverance. If you remain silent at this time, he said, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows? whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Yeah, you got Christians all over the church praying, God, advance me in business, advance me in politics, advance me in this, advance me in that, help me in this, and help me with that. And yet then God advances them, and what do they do? They say, well, I, I shouldn't speak out. I shouldn't speak up. I shouldn't be a witness. I shouldn't be a testimony for Christ. Well, Esther spoke to speak up too because we have come to where we are in the providence of God. Not that we got ourselves there. 
Well, let's look at the fourth illustration, the blind man, John 9. We heard it read. What do we say about this? So the disciples want to know, we got a fellow here who's blind, and the disciples ask Jesus a legitimate question for them, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Now, why did they ask that? Well, they believed that because he was blind, it had to be the result of sin, so they wanted to know whose sin it was, this guy or the parents. And we know that sometimes God does chasten us for our sin. I know a lot of people don't like to think that, but God does chasten us for our sin at times. But God doesn't chasten us for all of our sin because if he did, we'd be chastened all the time. We, 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 you know, we would just, it, we'd just be the kid that's getting whipped all the time. But God doesn't do that. God passes over. The psalm says, He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. He dealt with us in grace. But what do we know? We know that with Jesus said to them, He said it wasn't, it wasn't sin on the parents' part and it wasn't sin on this guy's part. But he is for this time right now that you might see the work of God. Jesus said, It's neither that this man it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that's what happened. God's work was displayed in him in his healing. And that man went on to confess Christ. And down through the ages, down through the ages, we have had Christ confessed as a result of this story and the, the faith of this guy. His parents wouldn't even speak up for him. The religious leaders rejected him. But still, he was a testimony to Christ. And he was faithful to Christ. The man became a walking, talking, seeing miracle and gave testimony to the person and the work of Christ. Imagine what it must have been like for him day after day, wondering to himself, why me? Why am I blind? Right? I mean, we read the story, and in two or three minutes, we read the story and everything about him, and he's healed and all this, but, but, but let's think about his experience. His experience was every day he lived this way. Every day he was begging. He could not see the food he could smell. He could not... He could hear people talking about the trees and flowers and things that were beautiful and, and the sunsets and all this. But he could see none of this. He could see none of it. And he could think to himself, what have I done? What, how have I sinned against God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? What, does God love me or not? All this stuff. I don't know what went through his mind. There are bound to have been times when that was going through his head. But in the purposes of God, he went through this horrible period of time and yet it was going to be a something of astounding miracle and through his testimony many people came to know Christ and he is an example to us of confessing Christ in spite of the fact that family and religious leaders and others would want us not to confess Christ okay what are I'm going to give you five applications to take from this passage of scripture and some of these applications are what you and I need to say to ourselves. The last three are what we need to say to ourselves. The first application is this, and you have an outline there, and so this is where some of the fill-in-the-blank stuff is if you care for this. Great, but also the small to whom these truths apply. Don't make this mistake. Don't make the mistake 
mistake that Joseph and David and Esther are the exception. There was a ruler, a king, and a queen, but they didn't start out that way. They didn't rise up that way. They came from a prison. They came from an immigrant minority group. They came from a fellow who took care of sheep. This doesn't mean that all of us will rise to a position or to the point in God's providence where they were, but it doesn't but it it does example to us that we are part of God's providence too, just like this nobody blind man who was a beggar. He was jobless. His family won't support him even after he is healed. And yet he is God's instrument to heal Christ. You and I have to say to ourselves, God's providence is real for me as it was with Joseph and Esther and David. It isn't just for a select few. It applies to all of us. God's providence applies to all of us. Do not see your life as just another number, as just another life in this world. See yourself as a child of God and that God is infinite. You say, well, how can God be concerned about me, little old me, in this world? He has got all these other things he's dealing with. And I see all these people on television and all the internet. And I know there's a lot of people. How could he be concerned with me? Because he is God. Don't you understand how great he is? That's why he can be interested in your individual life and every aspect of your life and my life because he is God, because he is so great beyond our imagination. Whatever we think, however big we want to make God, he is still going to be too small. Secondly, God is governing, controlling, establishing, positioning, using, ordaining each one of His people. This is like the first application, but I want to supply these words descriptive of God's providence to help us appreciate that this is really going on with us as His people. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all, and that includes us. No doubt Joseph rose to power as he did and Esther arrived at the right time and David was made king and the blind man did glorify God and reveal Christ. And even though our sin is our own, still we are those who are part of the plan of God. Chance is removed from us. Many of us will talk a good theology, but often we live like we are the victims of chance or bad luck. The deeds of evil people can't be stopped. You realize sometimes sometimes when you and I watch the news and stuff and we, we look at all the evil in the world and we think there's no stopping it. There's no controlling it. There's no stopping it. Let me tell you something. Many times all the evil in the world, God is just allowing. God's just giving these people that much more. He's just giving them that much more rope. Psalm 73 says they are like people walking on ice. And they don't realize how blind they are and they're ready to fall and come under the judgment of God. God's not powerless. God's not powerless as they go about their way. He's giving them what they want and they'll come under His judgment. We say, yeah, this is true. And then we go out and live our lives as though there's no great design or purpose to our lives. 
We must pray for to work on us that we would see ourselves as part of God's plan and purposes in His world and that His providence applies to us as well. Final two are the, the applications now of what it is that we are to say to ourselves. Here's the, the first one, which is number three in the outline. To correctly understand myself and my life, I must always begin with God. If you want to understand who you are and your life, you always have to begin with God. The Bible says we're creating God, God's image. That means we're above the animals. We make decisions. We're morally responsible. We can be creative. We can have communication. We, we can think deeply. There's all kinds of different things that we can say about being created in the image of God. But then if we're Christians, if we're those who look to Christ as our Lord and Savior and He has taken our sins upon Him so that we are declared not guilty and He is covered with us with His, his righteousness and we're accepted and we're, then we're adopted into God's family as His children. We're sons and daughters. And so we begin our understanding of who we are with God, not with looking into ourselves. Everybody says they're out here trying to find themselves. They're trying to find myself. I'm trying to find myself. If you really find yourself, you're going to be disappointed, I promise. Way, many people, are, they talk that way and they carry, out, they carry on that way. But God says we're creating His image. He says we're His sons and daughters. And, and God loves us. God loves us individually. He loves us collectively. He has unique purposes and plans for our lives. There is a vast sea of people in the world, and still God is so infinite that by His providence, you and I are part of His design. Where we are right now is where He has us in His will. From our knowledge to our possessions to even suffering and illness, all has been appointed for us right now and in the future by the Lord. You are not a nobody. You are not a zero. You are not just a number, one in the crowd, in God's great scheme of things. Instead, you are the product of God's providence with a purpose to fulfill in the present and as long as your days are fulfilled on this earth to glorify and honor Him. The second thing we say to ourselves, which is number four, D, to correctly understand the purpose and significance of my life and all I do, I must always remember that ultimately I exist to glorify God. This is what it comes down to with Joseph and David and Esther and the blind beggar. The beggar is not the beggar bore alone the reproach of confessing Christ. It meant rejection by the church in his day and by his parents. And it may be that we will best glorify God through suffering, even as the beggar experienced suffering. But our, our goal is to glorify God. Glorifying God means being faithful in all the callings that He has given with. I gave you a bunch of callings that we all have. We don't just get a paycheck. We glorify God in our work. We seek to be faithful to Him in whatever place we find ourselves. All of this is, to, is where we live. We live. Our motive is to glorify God. Our motive is to glorify God in what we do. We go on vacation to enjoy God's creation, to enjoy rest, which He's built into our lives. We glorify God when we do that. We eat a meal. We thank Him for that food. We thank you for our taste buds are working. We thank you that it's nutritious. We thank you, thank Him that it's good for us. We eat that meal to the glory of God. We brush our teeth to the glory of God. We take care of our bodies. 
We do all to the glory of God. All of life. Not just coming to church, but all of life. Finally, we say to ourselves, God's providence in my life gives me much confidence and courage. God's providence in my life gives me much confidence and courage. Now I'm going to give you, I don't have this place here, you can write these down, but I'm going to give you three ways that you get confidence and courage because of God's providence. In other words, so God's providence, what, look at what we're thinking here. Okay, because I know about God's providence, it gives me confidence and courage. It gives me confidence and courage in three ways. What are those three ways? It could be more ways, but I'm going to give you three. It gives you confidence and courage to take legitimate risk. To take risk. Okay? You can take risk knowing that God is a God who deals in providence. David. David goes out to take face Goliath. Did he risk anything? Sure he did. He, he knew he was a good marksman. He knew all this. He knew he could take this guy on. But still, what's he doing? He's taking a legitimate and intelligent risk. Right? Look at Joseph. Joseph, how would you like to be told? How would you like to be told by Pharaoh? Okay, we need to store up grain for all these years. I'll put you in charge of that. Okay? All right. Well, you, well how are you going to handle that? How are you going to come up with a system to store grain that's going to keep animals and insects out of getting in there. How, how are you going to keep all that stuff dry, aired out well enough, that mold doesn't grow, and everything gets destroyed? How, how are we going to get all this stuff? We don't want people stealing it. We've got to do this all over the country. And what's, what's, what's Joseph, what does he do? Okay, I'm your man. I'll do it. So what's Joseph doing? He's taking a legitimate risk. He is. He's taking a risk. Look at Esther. What does she do? She, she knows that if she isn't summoned by the king, she could lose her life by entering into his presence. But she takes a legitimate risk. Probably put on an extra amount of perfume that day. I don't know. But she takes risks. You can take risk. Why? Because life is not governed by chance. You have a loving God who you operate under. The second example. You, the second example is that you can have courage and confidence so as to be encouraged and not in despair. To be encouraged and not in despair. So as you and I seek to act and live under the providence of God, we can walk by faith, not by sight. We can trust that God's going to be taking care of us. We can be encouraged in His truth. Okay, We can be encouraged and not be in despair. Because God is going to take care of us just like he did with others throughout history. And the third thing that you can do and I can do when we act under the providence of God in our life is we can accept change without fear. We can accept change without fear. Some of us in this room, and I don't, some of us in this room, and I don't know everything about all of us, but some of us in this room cannot stand change. Can't stand any kind of change. Why are the biscuits on that side of the table? Okay, we don't like change, but we're biscuits on one side of the table is not the best. They should be on the other side of the table. Maybe somebody thinks, but that's. But what happens when sickness comes? What happens when jobs are lost? 
What happens when money is lost? What happens when marriages are broken up and all these other things? What happens? Change can be very unsettling for us. It can be a very fearful thing. And yet because of God's providence, because God is loving us and caring for us and governing all things, we look to Him. And instead of being fearful, we remember that God is with us. Just like Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. And this is one of the greatest messages throughout Scripture, that God is with us, that Christ is with us. This is why we look at change and we remember Romans 8, 28. That all things happen for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And we rest in that and we live upon that. Let's pray that you and I can appreciate God's providence and live consciously understanding that His hand is upon us and that He is for us. And being His chosen sons and daughters, we can serve Him to the glory of God in every area of life. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You this morning that You love us and that life is not left to chance. And we thank You that we are important in Your sight just like David and Esther and Joseph and that beggar who Jesus healed that day. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand these things in our hearts and let it carry over into our lives and help us, Lord, to be your people in your world for your glory. Forgive us of our sins. We mess up so much of the time. But help us, Lord, not to wallow in that, but to enjoy your forgiveness and to get up and to move on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.